today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 to 9. The Shepherd and His Flock I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever, come all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief came, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Thus ends the reading of the word. Good morning, everyone. Um, I just want to begin by uh, <clears throat> acknowledging uh, this has uh, been a big week uh, for, for all of us. You know, the, the biggest thing, of course, is that Mon cut my hair and, uh, you know, earth-shattering stuff. Went from looking like John Tory to, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm never going to let uh, Maria uh, live that one down for making that comment about me. But, uh, uh, you know, there's some good news, of course, you know, the, uh, the 40-somethings getting vaccines, uh, well, that's been a, a huge thing, and opening up the AstraZeneca uh, has been a huge thing. And, of course, uh, uh, Derek Chauvin's being held accountable for the murder of George Floyd. Uh, this is huge. Uh, though, of course, um, neither of these things, you know, actually solve the problem of COVID or solve the problem of systemic racism. Um, but at least they're kind of good steps in the right direction and offering some hope while still having to live under the realities of both of those. And of course, uh, this we just found out this news of our beloved friend Opal, uh, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Those of us who know Opal know her as an amazing woman who cares for so many people. Uh, more seasoned pastor than myself may have been able to perhaps rewrite a, a sermon to help us as a community to grieve in this kind of uh, grief and sadness as we process this new information. Um, what I can offer as we begin is that I am here with you in shock. Um, it hasn't actually, I'm sure it hasn't sunk in for me uh, yet. Uh, I'm here with you in sadness and grief and praying alongside of you uh, for Opal and for her family. Uh, and, and I pray that together we can place our hope in God's promise 
uh, to bless those who mourn, to be with those uh, who mourn. And so um, this is a journey that we are going to go through uh, together uh, with Opal, and, and let's be faithful to be praying for Opal and for her family. And this morning, uh, yeah, so let's I'll move on to what I've prepared with the weight of that, uh, of course, uh, with us. Um, now, last Sunday, uh, Abby began her sermon by talking about her favorite villain, Bane from the Batman uh, Risers movie. And so I thought since the passage we're focusing on today includes thieves and robbers, I should share one of my all-time favorite villains. This is one of the greatest, most complex villainous characters of all time. His name is Ralph. Ralph is a wolf, and his nemesis is Sam, Sam the sheepdog. For those of you who don't know, this is Ralph and Sam. Ralph looks oddly like Wile E. Coyote. I think the only difference is the color of his nose. Way to go. Back then, you know, cartoons, you drew something once and then you just reuse it over and over again. <laughs> Ralph and Sam are cartoon characters that I grew up watching. You can take those off. Those are, I don't know, it's pretty, anyway. <laughs> Ralph and Sam are car they're cartoon characters I grew up watching on a show called Looney Tunes. Uh, every episode of Ralph and Sam was essentially the exact same thing. Sam the sheepdog was watching over a flock of sheep. And Ralph, the wolf, kept coming up with all kinds of creative ways to try to steal the sheep. And of course, all of these were thwarted by Ralph. Now, of course, as a kid, my favorite part of the show was watching Ralph get squashed by boulders, launched through the air, blown up over and over again. However, as an adult, I had to go watch them to remember what they were even about, to be honest with you. As an adult, my favorite part is how every episode begins with Ralph and Sam arriving at this sheep pasture, and they greet one another politely with a, good morning, Sam, good morning, Ralph, and they punch in their time clocks uh, for the work clock, and they go and get in position, you know, calmly, just watching, waiting for uh, work to begin. They maintain the civilized relationship until the clock strikes 8 a.m., the work bell goes off, and all of a sudden now they are enemies. And of course, the end of the day is the exact same thing. Uh, Ralph is one of my favorite villains because, for one, he always loses, and two, he obeys strict rules and parameters in his villainy. He leaves it at the office when he returns to his suburban middle-class house with the white picket fence. And of course, I'm saying most of this facetiously, not, uh, anyway. Wouldn't it be nice if real villains were only villains during the work hours and that they worked within agreed parameters of their thievery? Now, of course, uh, this cartoon is a, far from the picture that Jesus gives us here in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. Though the imagery of sheep being watched over at all costs is similar. As we begin looking at the passage that uh, Phyllis read for us, I want to start with a bird's eye view of John 10, uh, 1 to 18. Uh, Phyllis read 1 to 10, but 1 to 18 uh, often is lumped together. 
Many translations of the Bible call this section something like the good shepherd and his sheep. As if to say that there is kind of one predominant message, one predominant metaphor uh, that covers the whole thing and that all of the verses point to this one thing. But this isn't actually the case. So taking a bird's eye view, verses 1 to 5 can sort of be seen as an introduction. Jesus is setting the scene. He's speaking to a group of Jewish leaders called the Pharisees, and he uses verses 1 to 5 to paint a picture of a first century Middle Eastern sheep pen. Now here is a photo of something of what this might have looked like. It is a walled-in area that is too high for sheep to escape or for Ralph the wolf to get in. It has one entrance that would have been sealed with a gate, but the rest of it was all a solid, bordered wall. Based on Jesus' description, this pen would have actually been shared by several families, and it would have it had a hired gatekeeper to guard the gate, the only entrance. Within the pen would be numerous sheep that are made up of a different flocks. So the different families, each family would have its own flock, and these different flocks would be mixed together. And so when the shepherd of one of the flocks arrives to take their sheep out of the pen to go get some food in the pasture, when they come, the gatekeeper recognizes the shepherd. So again, verses 3 to 4 says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So picture uh, the ball pit in the Ikea's play area with, you know, dozens of kids all mashed in, all on top of one another. And when a parent calls out to their kids, the kids recognize the voice that this the adult voice, they belong to that adult voice. And of course, you know, they obediently just immediately come out. <laughs> well, more realistically, of course, the kids recognize their parents' voice. And so they actually bury themselves deeper under the balls, hoping that they can somehow escape their fate of having to leave Ikea. But you get the point. A large group of sheep belonging to different shepherds are all packed in this area. And when, the, when a single shepherd comes and calls, the sheep who know the shepherd's voice, they come out from this group of sheep and follow, uh, follow the shepherd out of the gate and into pasture. So after painting this picture of the sheepfold, Jesus makes two different revealing statements about who he is, uh, using two the related they're related to the sheep pen, but they are different metaphors. I am the gate in verse 7, and I am the good shepherd in verses 11 to 14. Now, these two I am statements are not meant to be one metaphor. Jesus can't be both the gate through which the shepherd enters, as well as the shepherd who goes through the gate at the same time. By saying he's the gate and the good shepherd, he's not trying to explain what, what he meant in verses 1 to 5. He isn't kind of saying, okay, so the gate, let's go back. The gate means this, and let's, the shepherd goes back and means this, and let's lump it all together. 
He isn't explaining what he meant in verse 1 to 5. He's actually expanding on what he said in verses 1 to 5. And his expansion, he uses two metaphors to give two completely, well, related but different revelations about who he is. Jesus, uh, the I am statements in the Gospel of John, and these two all are revelations of a different aspects of who Jesus is. So next week, we will be focusing on Jesus' self-revelation as the Good Shepherd. But this morning, we are focusing on that first related but different metaphor, I am the gate. And now, since we're still setting the stage, I wanted to briefly highlight two presuppositions, a fancy word for assumptions or things that, things that we assume often without knowing it, that we're doing it. That we, assumptions we place upon Jesus' words that I think mislead us in how we understand what Jesus means when he says he is the gate. So I just want to knock these off at the beginning. For one, when many Western Christians read Jesus' words in verse 9, I'm the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. We assume that we will be saved is speaking about what happens to us after death. We assume that the saving work of Jesus is this non-physical, spiritual, ethereal, when I die, I'll go to heaven kind of saving. And when we bring this presupposition to the text... We often intentionally place this assumption over the whole metaphor of Jesus as the gate and as the shepherd. The air conditioning is on, so now finding that the, the beautiful breath of comfortable air is blowing my notes off. Now, though it's true that Jesus is saving, uh, is and includes what happens after we die, and that's part of Jesus' saving. Jesus is dying and rising again in the middle of history, shows us that his saving of us is one, is holistic. It is the entirety of our humanity, not just our souls or some spiritual uh, essence. And secondly, it shows us that his work of being our savior and our rescuer is also about life now, in the here and now. A second assumption that many of us have been taught to bring to Jesus' words, I am the gate, is that we presume that Jesus is the gate is an image of Jesus being the only way to salvation. This ethereal, I'm not going to go to hell, I'm going to go to heaven thing. And therefore, Jesus as the gate now becomes about how other religions are not the way to God. Now, Scripture does teach that Jesus is the way by which people in all of creation are reconciled to God. But Jesus saying, I'm the gate, here in John chapter 10, is not the place that we find this teaching. So we can find that teaching, and it's, but it, this isn't the place. So we have to be careful not to put that onto this metaphor, analogy, parable, uh, whatever you want to call it. Because when we do that, we actually make other religions and their leaders, we turn them into the thieves and the robbers who come to try to steal and hurt the sheep. 
And this just, this isn't what ha- what's happening here. In fact, oppositely, the thieves and the robbers in Jesus' metaphor isn't a reference to other understandings of God, but it's actually made against Jesus' own religious leaders. It's made against the Jewish leaders. Jesus isn't rebuking other religious ideas, but he is rebuking his own people's leaders. If we are going to make a comparison of the thieves and robbers to anyone, it wouldn't be other religions and their leaders. It would be our own leaders and, some, and even religious practices. When they are done to not come through Jesus, but to come over the wall to steal, kill, and destroy The imagery of sheep representing God's people, of course, would have been deeply ingrained in first century Judaism. A Jewish rabbi wouldn't have had to take this long describing sheep pens and all of that. And Jesus obviously didn't either. He had five uh, lines to do it. Jesus' words here in chapter 10 would have brought to mind uh, to, the, to the Jews and especially the Jewish leaders the words of the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel says in, in Ezekiel 34, verses 2 through 5, Ezekiel says this. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who take... Oh, only take care of yourselves. Should you not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all of the wild animals. The leaders of God's people were supposed to bind the wounded, nurture the weak, bring back the strays, to rule them not harshly and brutally, but lovingly and caring, caringly. Yet instead, they were more interested in fleecing the sheep, shaving off the wool for their own personal gain, slaughtering choice animals instead of guiding, nurturing, and guarding them. Like robbers and thieves, they and other leaders who claimed to be saviors of the Jews, such as a zealot movement trying to lead the Jews out into war, suffering and slavery, These leaders were a danger to God's people, not a care, not a binding, a nurturing leadership. Jesus, however, uses the thieves and robbers as a way to contrast who he is as the true savior of the sheep. And as a savior of the sheep, he is the gate. I am the gate Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. As the gate, Jesus reveals himself as the one through whom the sheep will come in and will go out. 
Through Jesus, the gate, they come in and enter into the safety of the fold. And through Jesus, the gate, they go out and enter into the fullness and plenty of lush pastures. Safety and nourishment, security and flourishing. So first, safety. As we contemplate what it means that through Jesus the gate we have safety, security, it is important, of course, that we understand security in Jesus, uh, that we, it is understood in the context of all of Jesus' life and teachings. Particularly on our call to follow Jesus to the cross, carrying our cross and denying our, the self. I think sometimes on one hand we say, as a follower of Jesus, I offer him all of who I am. And then on the other hand, we also think as a follower of Jesus, he should keep me safe from all harm. You know, safe from hardships of life, safe from car accidents, from robbery, safe from illness, safe from heart attacks, safe from environmental disasters, safe from covid and while I think it is good and important we bring these concerns and fears and pains to Jesus, and I think that God does care about our holistic well-being, we know there's a reality that these things do happen to people who love Jesus. And so as the gate, the security uh, cannot be understood as someone who, as Jesus just making us comfortable and, and safe from anything hard happening in life. What's more, Jesus tells us time and time again that we will not only endure these kind of the universal sufferings that all of humanity endure together, we will also endure a particular suffering because of our faith in him. Jesus himself said well, we are actually sent out like sheep among wolves. So somehow, as we understand Jesus, the gate, is one who keeps us secure, we must understand it in the context of the reality of the sacrificial nature of Jesus, and that as his followers, we too are called to sacrifice. We too are called to subvert or to flip upside down the ways of the world, of culture, of sin, and of flesh. And that there will be hardship as a result of our faith. A New Testament scholar, Scott McKnight, talks about our call as followers of Jesus to die to self. He calls it a disciplined discomfort. That security in Jesus as his disciples is not about being comfortable, uh, but actually contains uh, an element of disciplined discomfort. Romans 14, verse 7, reminds us that the kingdom of Jesus is not about food or drink. It is not about the comforts of life or about our religious attempts to be pious. But it is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Our security lies in the fact that no matter how uncomfortable, no matter what suffering, no matter what level of sacrifice we must make, we are never abandoned. Our Savior calls us by name. The Holy Spirit dwells with us and in us, bringing righteousness, peace, and joy. No enemy 
human or otherwise, can snatch us out of God's hands. For Jesus is the gate through which we are led into the safety of the sheepfold. Safety and fullness. Through Jesus, the gate, we go into safety, and through him, we go out and enter into the fullness of life, the plenty of lush pastures. Again, verses 10, uh, 9 and 10. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This picture of fullness is one of sheep being led out of the gate into lush pastures of thick green grass, eating the overflow of the cream of the crop, content and flourishing life lived to its best. Of course, as we've already seen, we know that taken in the context of Jesus' life and death, and his teaching, he isn't telling us that the fullness of life is measured in gluttony and excess, in consuming en masse until we fall into sleepiness and atrophy. Biblically speaking, that picture, of course, is not of fullness, but of shallow, empty, godless, godless empty, meaningless life. No, the fullness of life that Jesus leads to is Again, one of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is a fullness that is found not in focusing on our own fattening, but on the lush nourishment of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Following the voice of our shepherd through the gate into fields of peace, mutual edification, and serving Christ and one another with self-sacrificing love. It's the opposite of gorging. We experience the fullness of life when we live the ways of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. Which means that we as people who love and follow Jesus to enter, the, enter through the gate into the fullness of life we are also to be gateways to others, leading them into places of safety and into places where they may experience the fullness of life in Jesus. Too often throughout history, the church has tried to be the gate by insulating ourselves, by protecting ourselves and our rights and our privileges. Author Mark Buchanan, he says it this way. <clears throat> he says that we've made our churches too safe by being, and I quote, by being havens of comfort for ourselves, breeding grounds for our prejudices, catering services for our preferences. When our churches are mostly about insulating us from a broken world, they most tempt us to sit in judgment on that world and applaud ourselves for doing so. As Buchanan points out, when we do this, we actually make our church not safe at all 
In trying to make it safe, we have made it unsafe because this insular self-protection, valuing comfort yet feeling justified in judging others, this is the equivalent of locking ourselves in the sheepfold and refusing to go through the gate and enter into the fullness of life. Our fear of thieves and robbers coming into our churches and causing us discomfort We build the walls of ideology and theology around our pen higher and higher. And along the top of the walls, we place the barbed wire and broken glass of dogma and policy to try to rip to shreds those who attempt to enter. And we guard the only remaining entrance to be sure that no one who looks or acts or thinks or prays differently than we do can come in unless they are willing to become like us. And the end result, do you know what happens when you lock a bunch of animals in a pen with no access to food or nourishment? With no place to empty their bowels than at one another's feet in an enclosed space? It is not pretty. Fortunately, this is not our call. This is not our sheepfold. When Jesus is our gate and we go in and out through him, we enter through the gate to security and to the nourishing pastures of the fullness of life. And when we live out the ways of Jesus enlivened by the Holy Spirit, others who Jesus calls to himself are safe to join us because Jesus is the gate, not us. Regardless of if their presence requires us to readjust, to shove over, to experience the discomfort that can come with being open to the other. We are not called to stay in our pens. We are not called to go out into the world and guard fiercely what we have. But we are called to go through the gate into the fullness of life found in the sacrificial and welcoming, loving ways of Jesus. We are called to find this fullness of life that comes through the risk of leaving the enclosure through the trustworthy gate. And as we are called to be a safe place for others... So that they can be who they are as Jesus has welcomed them as they are. We are called to be a safe place and welcome them as one of the fold. To trust Jesus the gate who opens for others to enter. Trusting that it is actually our openness and welcome of other sheep through Jesus. That we are in turn led out into the fullness of life. Jesus is the gate by whom all come in and enter into the safety of the fold and through whom all may go out and enter into the plenty of lush pastures, the fullness of life. I'd like to end with a prayer by Oz Guinness from his book, Renaissance. So let's pray. Lord of the years, sovereign over time and history, speak to us in power by your word, Jesus, and spirit.
and so break into the short-sightedness and errors of our understanding. Help us to distinguish the true from the false, the enduring from the passing, and the costly from the cheap. Grant us the courage to be faithful rather than fashionable, and turn our eyes from the quicksands of nostalgia and the mirage of an imaginary future. Give to us such a clear understanding of the times in which we live that we may serve your purposes in our generation and be more truly your people in our world today. In the name of Jesus, amen.